Inside Source Welcome to Inside Source, our regular audio journal on the events and people making the news in the Source Fabric community. This week, we'll travel to Belarus to get the inside story on the revolution through social networks movement. Is it simply playful protest, or is this the beginning of the end for Lukashenko's era? We'll also stop in at El Periodico, a newspaper in Guatemala, to look at the dangers of something most journalists take for granted, putting their name to a story. Finally, we'll end up in Dakar, Senegal, for a report on the economic empowerment offered to women through microfinance. All that, this week on Inside Source. First up, we visit Minsk for a remarkable report on the uprisings in Belarus's capital. Joining us on the line was broadcaster, journalist and open source activist, Marina Klonova. I started by asking her to give us a summary of what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. Economic and political situation here is really complicated and requires uh, fundamental changes. It's not my opinion only, but the opinion of the majority of Belarusian citizens. I can name just some facts of this crucial situation. There is devaluation, rising prices on consumer goods, and falling level of social life of the population. But the government, headed by President Lukashenko, consider any manufacturing of discontent of the Belarusian, even silent protest action as an aggressive protest against the government and punish people brutally. So the worst thing here is violation of human rights. Uh, as for the situation this week, yesterday the Belarusian courts hold trials of citizens who were detained on the 13th of July during the silent action. Um, according to human rights specialist information, they were detained about 100 members uh, of silent protest um, everywhere in Belarus, and 20 of them are from Minsk. Detained citizens got, uh, got administrative punishment for petty hooliganism. Authorities did not stand on ceremony and prefer administrative arrests in prison instead of fines. The most went to prisons from three days to ten, and some of them have to pay administrative fines. Next up, I asked Marina about revolution through social networks, who are gaining some publicity for their social media organized flash mobs. The authority did not pay attention to it, but the next one, um, on the next action, Minsk got more than 2,000 people and uh, 400 were arrested. Such action, uh, actions are taking place in other uh, cities of Belarus. Some sections of the European media are describing this as mere playful protest. I put this description to Marina. It could be called a game if not brutal retribution for such games. Uh, you're right. Uh, there were uh, around six such silent actions, and uh, during this action have been uh, arrested more than 1,800 people, and more than 500 got administrative arrest in prison. It's not funny. People go to such actions with determination in mind, 
totally sober and with a passport to show it into police station or court. I think violent behavior of force structures and the authorities show their fear of any expression of protest in society, even silent. Moreover, the authority uh, invites other uh, secret services and organizations. We call them Spetsnaz and Commanders. And last time, can you imagine, strong, uh, shaven-headed man in civilian clothes carry detention. Not police, but people like you and me. Uh, they are especially brutal in dealing with people. They are trying to they are trying to merge information that they are all in from Russian special services. But I think it's lie. It's lie of, of our Belarusian security services. Uh, it's the funny situation when uh, we have so many such uh, security services and penitive organizations. They Try to they try to begin to arrest to each other all of them and civilians. It seems somebody suggested them the idea to eliminate the protest in any way. Uh, every such trial uh, turns into comedy show, if if you can call it so sad event, and uh, it has uh, the one scenario. As a rule, a witness at the trial is a policeman or policeman in civilian clothes and he witnessed that uh, the defendant uh, has behaved aggressive. My opinion, authorities managed to control such, such action but they have completely lost trust and respect uh, of, to the population. There are some tragic, uh, tra tragic accidents when arrested was arrested at people with one arm is it funny and i know the situation about a pregnant woman uh, was arrested um, during such mass arrests and people uh, who was around her told uh, poli policemen about commanders about that but they only laughed it and didn't let go so the woman lost uh, her baby the level of reporting on these um on these events in belarus has been varied with uk papers not taking it up so much but the german newspapers have been uh, much more engaged with the story i asked marina whether there was an issue with news getting out of the country mm, you know belarus is a leader in internet censorship and control um, the Belarusian authorities are using every means to block sources of information uh, and online information in the first place, uh, uh, which can tell people the truth. You know, uh, as a fact, before the action, uh, silent action on uh, the uh, 13th of July, social network contact, uh, contact was blocked for users. Um, some um, two sites, Belarusian Partisan and uh, uh, Hartia, um, op uh, uh, opposition, opposition websites uh, suffered from those attacks organized, you know whom. Uh, two hour print publication were uh, 
on the knife point of closing. Likely they weren't closed. Finally, I asked Marina what's it like working as a journalist in Minsk today. Uh, journalists uh, perform, perform the editorial task on the action of protest become victims of the police in the first place. Moreover, um, police uh, declared a hunt for journalists and documents, professional documents of journalists and assurance that they perform their professional duties don't save from arrest. Police aren't shy to grab even Russian and European, European journalists break down cameras and equipment, equipment, equipment but taken from hands of journalists. On the silent action, reporters and journalists suffer from personal insult and beating, get broken the equipment. Once, uh, uh, once a uh, gas uh, was applied, has been applied again, uh, again one journalist. So man in civilian clothes was sprayed in uh, the face of reporter. So um, the statistics says that um, um, 88 journalists have been arrested during uh, such actions. They um, be, uh, became uh, victims of police. Um, um, so statistic um, from our publication, online publications and print, uh, one journalist uh, got, sec uh, got six um, days of administrative arrest in prison from uh, Magilov uh, uh, publication got by. Two journalists uh, were arrested but set free without fines um, from Belarus Rynek. Two journalists uh, got administrative, have to pay administrative fines in Express. One journalist um, suffered uh, from Greske Gazeta. Six journalists uh, got administrative arrests and fine uh, and administrative fines um, from Grodna publication was still. Uh, three journalists uh, were victims of Nashaniva. My thanks to Marina Klinova for that enlightening overview of the events happening in Minsk, Belarus at the moment. The final part of the report, I leave you with her motivations in speaking to us today. I would like people in the world to know what is going here in Belarus. Every moral support and words of encouragement make us stronger and help us to fight somehow, even by taking part in such silent uh, actions, silent protests. Guatemala City became the focus of news agencies all across the world last week when Argentine songwriter and singer Facundo Cabral, an icon of Latin American folk and protest music, was shot dead by unknown gunmen who intercepted his car in Guatemala City. El Periodico Guatemala, one of the leading newspapers in the country, have covered the story extensively. But in simply writing articles about this, or indeed any other story, the journalists themselves have to be acutely aware of the dangers they face. El Periodico journalist Claudia Mendez Arias spoke to us about the difficulties 
of writing one's name. Several weeks ago, maybe two, perhaps three, I was working here, right here at my desk, when a reporter came, a young reporter, and he said, hey, Claudia, I don't want to, to write down my name. He didn't want the byline in the notes, the stories that followed the massacre of 27 um, patients in Petén. I was shocked when he said that. Then I realized, oh my God. And then another reporter came, she covers courts, and she said, I am not going to sign this story either. I'm an editor, and I was not able, I couldn't tell them, you have to sign them. It was shocking for me, and that night I drove to my house thinking of their faces. I mean, you have to, you have seen them. They're so young, and they were so afraid, and I was so moved by that. I still sign my stories with my name, but I'm, I'm very aware that I have to be very careful with the steps that I make. I don't have signs to see danger before me. I have experience, and I believe that I might recognize when danger comes. But uh, this is, when I think of this, I, I, I think, I say to myself, this is not normal. I mean, I'm, I'm an adult here, a woman of 34 years, and I think of other women of my age working in other places or countries, and I ask myself, do they think about working in the middle of danger? Do they take care of every step they make for what they do? That's what I've been thinking about this doing journalism these days here. That was El Periodico journalist Claudia Mendez Ariasa speaking with Claudia Cruz. We end this edition of Inside Source in Dakar, Senegal. Sheriff Bojang Jr. is a reporter at West Africa Democracy Radio. He's recently been looking at grassroots banking, microfinancing, and the difference it is making to women in the region. Africa and other parts of the developing world are synonymous to poverty. In this poverty ladder, women are always at the lower ranks due to their status in their communities. Over the past decade, we've seen the rise of grassroots banking or microfinance across the continent, as well as an effective means of contributing to poverty reduction, especially at community level. Microfinance is also a way of achieving the Millennium Development Goals in regards to building a financial sector which is accessible to the greater number of people by 2015. Brian Gidley is the Director of Technical Assistance for the National Federation of Community Development Credit Unions in New York. During a visit here in Dakar to give technical support to local microfinance stakeholders, I caught up with him and started by asking about the essence of credit union. A credit union is a cooperative bank owned by the members. The members are the customers. And here at MECSI, that's the name of the CREINEN, which is the French acronym for Mutuelle d'Epagne et de Crédit de la Zone de Yoff. Senegal is one of the countries hard hit by the global financial crisis, and it impacts more on the common people, the poor people, the jobless, or those who earn less. What role can um, a credit union like this one, the project that you are involved in, do 
to uplift the living standards of the ordinary people, the common people? How important is it for them? Uh, Sheriff, that's a very good question. Uh, this credit union does microfinance. Not only, though, does it make loans, it takes savings. It allows people to have savings accounts, and these savings accounts, in turn, are lent out to the same community so that they can, uh, for instance, a fisherman, Ibra, started the credit union in 1997 to help their business with the, you know, the wooden boats, the pirogue, and they needed credit to increase the size of their businesses. That's just an example. Most of the loans here are for business, small businesses, obviously. There are 10,000 members in the credit union in the town of 100,000, approximately, and the uh, rate of loss is very low on uh, loans. The credit union is very solid, very strong. It's got very strong reserves. The people's money is safe here. The rate of return on term deposits is higher than the banks. Here it's 5%. For a bank, it's 4%. Why does this help with community development? Instead of a bank or another institution coming in and taking the people's savings and using them to do something else, let's say over in the car or in another city, the money stays here in Yof to help people here develop, and it keeps the unemployment rate lower than it would be otherwise. How, how about interest? Like bank, when people take money, people take loan, they pay a huge amount on interest. How do you compare that when it comes to credit unions and banks? Uh, the loan interest here is very low at 14% per year. Sometimes you can get a comparable loan at a bank, but only if you have extremely good credit and for a larger amount, and there are other fees at a bank that the credit union does not charge. So no matter who you are, the interest rate here is 14%. So even for a small loan, micro loan, the interest rate is the same. The main thing is the ability to make a loan here is available, whereas a bank wouldn't lend to most people without the proper documentation and credit history. In one way, it's not so different from banks because it's financial intermediation, but the big difference is banks take the money from savers here in a poorer area and use it for big projects in the richer part of town. Microfinance expert Brian Gidley speaking to me here in Dakar. From me, Sheriff Young Jr. and everyone else here, thanks for listening and bye-bye. That's all from me, Adam Thomas, this week from the Source Fabric office in Berlin. Join us next time for Inside Source.